0: Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, May 14th, 2023, called On Mars Hill with Paul, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 17. He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews, as well as in the marketplace day by day. God's grace, His mercy, and His peace are yours. And Jesus Christ, our Savior, Christ is risen. He is, he is risen, risen indeed. indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. We won't be saying that quite as often. Maybe some of you are relieved about that. But I think it's really, I think it's great for us to have that reminder. Um, I think those two great seasons, Christmas and Easter, keep a nativity up in your house somewhere. Keep some reminder of Easter in your house uh, also. Those are great, great blessings. I, these three readings, I didn't mention this, this is the first service. Um, I hope you see kind of how they tie together. So we're going to talk about the Acts 17 one with Acts, with Paul on Mars Hill, outside of the uh, Areopagus, the council, the Parthenon, the Acropolis there. I had a couple members, uh, um, Scott and Janet, who had just been there two weeks ago uh, at the first service. And then uh, Patty uh, Bollinger did a children's message and showed us some images. Oh, so sweet. She did half my work for me. But now I have to tell you about it. So... Um, <laughs> But it's a, it's a, that Acts 17 is really just a tremendous opportunity. It's kind of amazing. We find some parallels with our culture, but some not. It's, it's really quite intriguing. Please remember, he's in a completely pre-Christian society. And we're almost in a post-Christian society. I'll explain that briefly uh, in a little bit. But the second reading in Timothy, Paul is talking to to a young pastor. And Timothy and Silas are two of Paul's companions on this trip. They don't go to Athens with him. It's kind of too bad. It's a little bit of a missed opportunity for them to see how Paul does this. But they stay back. I'll talk about that for a second. Um, They stay back in a town called Berea. In in the story of Athens, this is Paul's second missionary journey, going and planting churches, being sent to the Gentile world, planting churches. The other reading with Jesus, right? Jesus, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Paul is doing something very similar to that here on Mars Hill. You have heard it said, but let me tell you. Okay? So we'll, we'll explain that. But the second one to Timothy, didn't that sound like just today? If you look at that reading, that just brief reading, thanks Ruth, by the way, for honoring the Word, the, um, the you know, people won't adhere to sound doctrine, sound teaching, biblical teaching. They just won't. They'll, they'll just invent things that their itching ears want to hear, right? In other words, they'll just make up stuff to justify what they want to do, even though it's clearly in opposition to God's will. That doesn't play well in our culture right now, does it? It just that doesn't play well. I'd probably get canceled or something just by saying this. So it's, um, so it's a challenge. And so those three tie together. Who will speak with authority? Who will give you the tr- Where does the truth come from? So here's a... I found this. Are you old enough to remember Abby, dear Abby? So I found this. This is a pastor who was who writing some thoughts on Acts 17, on Acts 17, because, again, the resurrection plays a key part in this. Do you notice that's where the argument goes south on Paul? As he's talking to this whole group of people, it's hundreds of people, by the way, and they're the academic elite. Imagine the, you know, the, the philosophy professors of Princeton, Yale, Harvard, Cambridge, Oxford, right? Put them all in a room. This is the academic elite. In fact, you heard the commentary in there, all they like to do all day long is sit around and debate philosophies, right? That's, that's what you hear. And so um, that doesn't quite play the same today. It only happens if you all agree on the same philosophy. That's what happens today. Because if you disagree, you're immediately tossed out you know, or whatever. It's, it, it, disagreement's not much allowed anymore. Uh, you know, like the idea of live and let live, that's almost not allowed anymore. You got to approve. You got to say, way to go in all situations. So here, listen to this letter. So this person is writing back to Abby in the newspaper about something she counseled. Dear Abby, your answer to the woman who complained that her relatives were always arguing with her about religion was ridiculous. You advised her to simply declare the subject off-limits. Are you suggesting that people talk only about trivial, meaningless subjects so as to avoid a potential controversy? It is arrogant to tell people there are subjects they may not mention in your presence. You could have suggested she learn enough about her relative's religion to show them the errors contained in its teachings. Okay sincerely blah 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 so here's abby's response dear so and so in my view the height of arrogance is to attempt to show people the errors in the religion of their choice i i think i expected that from abby here's what this guy says if truth is reduced to mere opinion abby is right but if easter is true then abby is wrong If the tomb really was empty on that Easter morning, and if Jesus really is alive, then it's the height of arrogance, and I wouldn't have used that word, not to show people the errors in the religion of their choice. I would call it, it would be the height of uncaring. I've written you off. I don't care. In fact, it says we have a duty to do so. Whether you agree with that or not, I don't know that I agree 100%. I find it interesting I find it interesting because of the age we live in today. You know, let me just explain this real quickly. Paul had an advantage over us in some ways. Now, Christianity was illegal. Followers of the way were being persecuted, arrested, tortured, and killed. So that's different. But Paul lived in a pre-Christian age. We live in a post-Christian age. Here's what I mean by that. Most people, especially in America, have been vaccinated to Christianity. Do you get the idea of that? They got a little bit of Christianity and think they know all about it. A little bit. I know that story already. I already know all that. Don't talk to me about it. I know it. I got enough. I got enough Jesus in me. I got all I need. Don't talk to me. That's hard. It's a harder sell. It's harder. He's going to a group. They've got, wow, this is a new philosophy. We want to hear all about it. Tell us all about it until they get to the resurrection of the dead. Then they go, you know, not doing that. And so it's an interesting era. So what I want to do is say, what can we learn from something from Paul? Because I think we can. We can always learn from Scripture. But what can we learn from Paul's experience on Mars Hill? Because the first one is this. And this is my law part of this. If I was sitting where you're sitting and I had just read that thing that I just read to you, I'd squirm just a tiny bit. Just a little bit. What are you asking us, preacher? What are you asking? Okay, here you go. So here's the deal. Paul and Silas and Timothy were in Berea just before this. So Berea is up like northern Greece, Macedonia, towards that way. It's up that way. They're coming over from Turkey, coming over that, and coming down towards Athens and Greece. And I should do it this way to show you. They're in Berea. Berea is one of the, I call it low hanging fruit. Berea is one of the best, coolest spots in all of the Acts story. They go to Berea. Paul shares the gospel message about Jesus being the Messiah, suffering and dying, and then rising again. And the Bereans do this. It is so sweet. They go, okay, thanks for sharing that. We'll check it out. You come back tomorrow or whatever. And so they take the scriptures and they search them out. And they look at all those references Paul had. And they search for themselves on the prophecies. Is it fulfilled in Christ? And they come back to Paul and they say, we believe. Thank you for sharing it to us. It has been, we confirmed it in Scripture to, to support our faith, and they received Christ in the message of the gospel. And it says they were more noble because they took that approach. They didn't just kind of go hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, whatever. Cool. Or you guys are dumb and we don't like you. They said, we're checking it out. That's a part of our faith tradition, by the way. Don't ever just take what I say. And you disagree with me all the time. People often do. But to be able to say, I'm going to check that out. If you say that, I want to find it in the Word of God. Okay? So here's what we're looking at as we look at the Word of God. Hopefully, we'll look at it together. Um, So that's Berea. Silas and Timothy stay back to kind of be with those folks and encourage them. Paul goes on down to Athens. So he's in Athens. Paul is very well read. If you know some history of Paul, Chris did a great job last week. Paul is a brilliant student. He's well-read. He didn't grow up in Jerusalem. He didn't grow up in the bubble of Phariseeism, the bubble of Judaism. He was a Roman citizen. um, It appears that his father won his citizenship in some way. He was uh, in a business for himself, tent making. He was in Tarsus. That's on the southern coast of of Turkey. And so part of the Roman Empire. And Paul is very well-read, brilliant student. And so he had read Epicureans and Stoics, and he, he was familiar. He quotes them in here as he speaks to them. And I don't think he did some kind of… He couldn't go to the library and then, or go to Google and find some handy quotes real quickly. So he's very well read. So he comes into Athens, and this is a tremendous opportunity. Point number one is this. It's a great commission moment. And I just wanted to share with you, just real quickly, this little progression of how the gospel goes. Jesus says to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, you will be my witnesses. We know the Great Commission, right? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching, right? And then in Acts chapter 1, that's that's at the end of Matthew. Then in Acts chapter 1, uh, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. Here's where it goes. In Jerusalem, You're going to witness to all those people where the events took place. Which, by the way, if you're forming a false religion or cult, is really stupid. You do it as far away from the events as possible so people can't check you out. You get what I'm saying? If you're in the town where it happened, they can say, Jesus didn't die there, or here's his body, or whatever. So he does it in Jerusalem. You're going to do it first in Jerusalem. The heart of Judaism, where the prophecies have been made and received, first there. Then, secondly, Judea. You're going to go to the rest of the Jewish family because they've been given the promises. They were well aware that Messiah was coming through them. Go to them next. Third, you're going to go to the people you don't like. You're going to the Samaritans, but they're your cousins, and their family. They need to know the love of Christ. And then finally, you're going to go to everybody else and to the very ends of the earth. Paul is at the ends of the earth as far as their world is seen. He's at the ends of the earth. He's here in Athens, the height of philosophy. And look at the line. This is the line that just struck me to the heart. This was one that convicted me. Paul was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now what? What what does that mean? Distressed. He was he he was angry at them? That's not what that means. He was frustrated. He was condescending. He was... No, you know what this is saying. His heart's breaking in that these people have placed their trust in things of their own making. He's greatly distressed that these people who are so brilliant, you can imagine he's having fabulous conversations and it's stimulating and it's just he's spending all day talking and, and they're going back and forth and he's saying these people who have been made in the image of God, who Jesus Christ died for know nothing of him and they're going to die apart from him. Do you agree? Give me some indication. you agree a little bit? He was greatly distressed and this is where it convicts me. I'm not as distressed as I should be. I don't think we all are. Maybe you are. God bless you. I want to be more distressed. And when I say distressed, not frantic, not foolish. What's my example for this? Here's my example. Because it really ties into number two. Followers of Jesus are to be opportunistic. Here's my example. So with my friends here in town, leaders in this community who I I get the privilege to meet, not through any great shakes of me, I just happen to be the senior pastor at Grace Lutheran Church. And I meet the mayor or I meet the head of, of the steakhouse or the bishop in the area or, you know, an apostle comes to town or whatever. You get a chance to meet these people at various spots. And I get this line from, from various people. Isn't it great that we believe the same thing? Okay. I say, you know, I said this to, to our mayor and to a couple of guys. I said, you know, we love you and we pray for you. Scripture asks us to pray for you. Um, And I love, we love our neighbors, but we don't agree on some things. Now, if you'd like, I can give you just a very polite answer here in the next 10 seconds and we can go our separate ways. Or if you'd like, we could invest an hour or two and talk about thoughtfully what the differences are. Twice I've had guys take me up on it. It's been phenomenal. I don't know that they, haven't, they didn't automatically say here is water, shall I be baptized? I mean, you know, it was not that um, but I will tell you that I, I want to be opportunistic like that I want to pray for my neighbors and I'm not just talking about one group of people anyone I want to be not distressed in the sense of despairing I want to care I want to care that my neighbors need to know Christ that's what Paul is doing here Can we learn from that? I pray we can learn from that. Paul was distressed. He didn't know these people. They're not related to him. He he doesn't know them from Adam. And his heart was breaking for these people who had put their trust in these guys. Okay, that's enough on that. Second one, followers of Jesus to be opportunistic. I show this movie. By the way, I commend it to you. If you you like history and you want to know a little bit of the Lutheran Reformation, because Lutherans were the first Protestants, yeah, go. And so... um, (laughs) and uh, don't forget it. So, um, anyway, sorry. So, it's a great movie, 2003. You can get it free on YouTube and captions and everything. It's great. And it's really well done. It's very historical. Anyway, there's a moment where Luther is protesting abuses in the church that he sees, and and the Catholic church just wants him to shut up. They just, just shut up. So, they invite him to this thing called, get this, isn't this great? The Diet of Worms. You have to explain that to middle school students, let me tell you. So it's a, diet, a gathering at the town, the German city of Worms. And so it was an imperial seat. And the emperor was, they were, the Roman called him there, and he was to answer to the emperor and, and the pope's representative, the cardinal, here you've written all these things, They're heresies, recant them, right? Take them back. Take it back. Take it all back. And so he appears... And on that day there's a table set in front all his works all his writings are written there in dozens and dozens of them he was very prolific and the printing press has been going and pumping them out So this guy named Johann Eck he's a nasty dude he's the secret he's the inquisitor he comes up and he says are these all your writings yes do you recant do you take them all back And Luther is overwhelmed He about loses it he can't speak he is overcome And he essentially says, I need more time. The powers that be debate for two hours. It took him two hours. In the movie, it's like, yes, you can have a day. Two hours they debate. And two hours later, they come back and they say, you can have till tomorrow at 4 p.m. Off he goes. And Luther has some writings, some kind of more casual writings called Table Talk. He talks to people where he talks about that night. And how horrified he was that he missed his opportunity. And he was terrified that they were just going to arrest him the next day and he would never get a chance to actually speak. I mean, all along, that was the threat, that they would just arrest him, take him to the Inquisition, and burn him. He would just be dead. And that he missed his chance. And he cries out to the devil, you know, you laughing serpent, he calls him to find me silent, to find me silent. I, and please know, one of the things I love is, I hope you hear this from us a lot, Luther hated that we were called Lutherans. We, he loved us to be called evangelicals. We were the first evangelicals. Yay, go. So anyway, evangelicals, because it was about gospel. It was about the gospel. And, and he just hated those Lutherans Lutheran because he was so fallible. He was so human. He was so far from perfect. But he was honest about this. I, I whiffed. I missed my chance. And thank God, God gave me another day to speak. And, and to give you the rest of the story, right, he comes back, do you recant? And he says, I can't recant them all because some of them are as simple as the creed. Everyone agrees with them. And the other ones, I was very extreme with some people and I was nasty and I shouldn't have been that nasty and of that I am sorry. But these big body of works that declare the abuses of the church and the truth of Scripture and what we believe, I cannot. My, my conscience is bound to the Word of God. I love that. Don't you want your conscience bound to the Word of God? I want that. My conscience bound to the Word of God. So unless I'm proven by Scripture and clear reason, I won't take it back here I stand. God help me, right? I can't do anything else. It's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool scene. And then, and then everything, pandemonium breaks out, and he walks out. But, he, but there was a chance, and he was terrified that he missed his chance. Second one is, Christians are meant to be opportunistic. Pray for that. Pray for that. To be ready, because he didn't feel ready. See, that was the thing. He'd feel ready. And so that he is ready. Paul was ready for that opportunity. Isn't it cool what they say? They took him to a meeting of the Areopagus. That's that big gathering of people. They said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are preaching. Wow. How cool is that? I don't know that you'd get that same invitation today. Not in a general sense like the Areopagus. You think the Congress of the United States is going to say that? Oh, wow. Could you come please tell us about the glories of Jesus Christ? I don't think so. Not happening. If it does, we better take it. But here's the thing. I will bet you, you have a friend. I will bet that there's a neighbor. I will bet. And those are the opportunities we look for. That's what Paul did. He was an opportunistic, absolutely, I will speak. Third thing, know your audience. So it's funny, I have read all these books. I I won't get them all. I've read about seven or eight books Um, like middle school level, young adult, they call them, young adult series. So Harry Potter, I read all those, loved them. Those were great. Um, I'm not advocating sorcery, by the way. Please don't shoot me or do anything like that, okay? Um, So Harry Potter, great. Um, The the, um, Hunger Games, all of those. Um, Twilight, that was horrible. (laughs) Sorry, Sarah. Sarah. What was the other one? Pretties? What was that one called? Pretties and uglies. I read all of that. There's another couple. Anyway, there's more. Do you know why I read those? What? Divergent. Divergent. Oh, yeah, there's that one too. That was, that was pretty cool. Um, do you know why I read all those? We have a middle school. And so I would wander down there, and I would see these kids reading these books, and i go, I want to read these books. It was very cool. I could start any conversation anytime. It was very cool. That's what Paul is doing here. Know your audience. Did you see what he does? You guys here in Athens, you're so religious. I'm religious too. You got gods to everything. In fact, you're covering your heinies over here, right? You got one to an unknown god just in case you tick them off, right, by ignoring them. That's what, that's my paraphrase. Sorry, it's not in the scriptures. So, but Paul is saying, you guys are really religious. And then he starts quoting their philosophers, He says, wow, we are his offspring. Even you admit that we are the offspring of the gods. That's what your philosophers say. He knows his audience. This is a challenge for us today. Did you know this, that the longer you're a Christian, the fewer non-Christian friends you have? That is a fact. And by the way, you have to be intentional about making that different. This, uh, this is a reason why I love to play softball in our city league. We have the only church team in the city league, only ones. We're co-ed, and we both won the games last week. I wasn't there, thank God. That's why they won. So, um, but, the, uh, but I love it because we're there in that setting. Unfortunately, sometimes I think that, um, well, never mind, I'll, I will save that comment for another time. To, the language is spicy, let's say, um, but it's good to be in that setting. Here's the thing. He knows his audience. And what does he know about his audience? That Jesus is desperately in love with them. Jesus is desperately in love with them. And when we live in our bubble, I think there are times we imagine Jesus does not. Okay, fourth thing. Okay, here's an old joke. I'm going to tell it really fast. My daughter's going to roll her eyes. Here you go. It's an old fishing joke. You've heard me tell it. Guy catches fish every, he limits every morning, 10 a.m. He's back at the dock. All the other fishermen are mad. They sick the game warden on him, fishing game, comes to him. He says, hey, can I go out with you? Yeah, you bet, warden. Come on, I'll show you where I fish. Wow, jumps in the boat, heads out that next morning at dawn. They go way back in this cove in this big lake. And he says, wow, so this is the secret spot. He says, yeah, this is a great spot. So the guy lights a stick of dynamite, throws it in the water. (laughs) You know that's illegal, right? Okay, good. Boom. All these fish rise to the top. He gets out his big net. He's scooping up these fish, just grabbing them like this. And the warden is sitting there like this, and he goes, you know I'm the warden. And he says, yeah, I know you're the warden. He lights another stick of dynamite, throws it in the lap of the guy of the warden, and he says, you're going to talk or you're going to (laughs) fish. So there's no, on that boat, there's no kind of fishing. You either fish or cut bait, right? Have you heard that term? Fish or cut bait. You've got to do one or the other. That's what Paul is challenging them with. He says, here you go. Four, point number four is no one's kind of Christian. You can't be kind of Christian. For example, I asked this question of my confirmation students. I will say to them, I'll say, hey, give me your favorite music. And we write it all up on the board. What's your favorite music? Boom, country, you know, metal, rock, whatever, this kind of thing. Um, we write it all up there. And then I go, hey, look at this Bible. See how many pages? I have a Snickers bar here for whoever can guess the exact number of pages in this. I'll give you three guesses. And so they're like, wow, jazz. And then they do it. And I, I give it the Snickers bar to whoever's closest or whatever. I fudge on my own rules. And then I say, okay, which is faith more like? Is faith more like your favorite music? Or is it like how many pages are in this Bible? It's the latter. It doesn't matter what your favorite music is. It's your opinion. It's how you feel about it. Paul is is not allowing for that. I'm going to tell you who that unknown God is. You've left it an unknown thing so it can be anything you want it to be. I'm going to tell you his name. And he goes on to describe, he's the one who made everything. So making stuff with your hands and pretending that that's God is insane. He doesn't care about that. And when you even quote that we are his offspring, he means something completely different than what you mean when you say it. I'm going to explain that in a minute. But the first thing here is Paul is essentially says there's no kind of Christian. Now, if you're watching online, please, I don't want you to hear me being, being edgy or snarky in this way. We all journey There's a journey that takes place. There's a journey that takes place. But in the end, with Jesus, there's no kind of, there's no kind of. I'm sort of, it's kind of like I'm sort of pregnant. No such thing. You are or not. And so as you journey in that, that's where Jesus is inviting us to walk with me, be my disciple, be my family. And so here's the thing. Now it goes to this. So, what's the difference? Here comes the game changer. Some of your own poets, this is number five, some of your own poets have said, We are his offspring. He's going to explain this. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, now he commands all people everywhere to repent. He's going to say something that's going to change everything. Here's the irony of this they didn't mean it. We are his offspring. All of these gods, they created because they had a need. I got a need. We're going to war with the Spartans. We need a god of war. Let's get Ares up here. That's how you get the Areopagus. Or, oh, we need to have kids. I need kids. I need an heir. So I need a goddess of fertility, Athena. We're going to do that. Aphrodite, sorry. We have Af- Maybe I'm getting Greeks and Romans mixed up. Anyway, so we got another god, goddess over here. Or whatever. You know, we're going to take a sailing journey. And I've got cargo on this we got to pray to Poseidon. (laughs) I'll get it wrong. But you know what I'm saying? You make up a God. The gods were their creation, not them. And even if they acknowledged that we are his offspring, they were his offspring that we might appeal to them to act on our behalf. And Paul says something completely different. When Paul goes into the fullness of his theology, but even here on Mars Hill, what Paul is saying is, He's now bringing us into relationship with him. Not a created thing which we can manipulate, nor an offspring which is merely a a creation of them, but rather a child, a family. God is bringing us into relationship, and when we are in relationship, we love each other and are therefore accountable to one another because we care. That's the difference of what he's saying. That's the relationship he's saying. Now, you want proof? Paul says, you want proof? You know, back in the day, people would send me emails. 10, 15 years ago, they'd send me emails. And you know what I would do? They'd send me like conspiracy theory stuff. Oh, Pastor Dinger, won't you talk about this? And oh, this is what's happening. You know, it's crazy stuff. And I would go to Snopes.com. You're familiar with that? I'd go, let me just check. Let me just do a quick look. 15 years ago, even up to maybe five years ago, I still trusted them. Guess what? The fact checkers now need fact checkers. Seriously, it's crazy in how often I find that the fact-checkers are wrong in their facts. I'm afraid it's going to go that the fact-checkers need fact-checking and those fact-checkers need fact-checking. And this is the challenge is for us to not simply isolate within our bubble, but to understand. I love that that Paul brought that to the table, that he understands how they think. But he says this, and this is the line in the sand. And this is the line in the sand for Christians everywhere. If Paul says it in Corinthians, if Jesus Christ has not risen from the dead, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. and even if, And if that is the case, Paul says, then all we did was lie through our teeth to you. If only for this life here on earth that we have hope in the resurrection, if only in this life we're most to be pitied. It's not about just this life, it's about forever. I'm paraphrasing again. But Paul lays it out here and he says the same thing. We are his offspring, and he has proven this that he longs to be in relationship with us through the person Jesus Christ, whom he raised from the dead. Greeks couldn't stand it because this stuff was bad. God made it. Don't call it bad. It may be broken, but it's not bad. And so God is going to heal it, redeem it, fix it. He's going to restore it. And so you want proof? It's the resurrection. The resurrection is our proof. The relationship changed everything. The resurrection changed everything because it proved it. Paul essentially says, you don't think it's true? Show me the body. Go to the tomb. Here are the eyewitnesses. I got proof. What he's essentially saying to those guys is, you're just talking to hear the sound of your voice. I'm talking to deliver the truth. That's a hard word today. But the tomb is empty. Death has been defeated. And Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. Last thing. I'm sorry. A little bit long today. Here's the thing. You know what we look for today in our world? Silver bullets or magic wands. Right? We'd love a silver bullet. Let me do this one thing. Boom. Everything's fixed. That's not how it goes on Mars Hill. Just because Paul spoke a cool sermon. Doesn't do it in one shot. Because look at what they say. Not many believed. There were a few. One of them was in the Areopagus. And another one was uh, Damaris. She was in there too. And they joined. And there's a a few from that audience that do it. But what they said to him was this. And this should be our prayer. We would like to hear from you again on this subject. It's a journey. And you're not the only voice. God's got it well in hand. But may ours be a voice. May yours be a voice in the journey that they take with Jesus, that people take with Jesus. And may we be ready to speak as he has spoken to us. Come to me. Come to me. You are my own as he has spoken to us. May we also speak to others. A journey that we take together with Jesus as our guide, our lead, our savior, our victor over death. To God be the glory. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org and make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.